0: or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Welcome to Emmanuel. If you are joining us in central Indiana, we want to welcome you. Or in another state across the country, we want to welcome you. Or if you're joining us in another country around the world, we want to welcome you as well to Emanuel. My name is Danny. I'm the lead pastor here at Emanuel. And we are wrapping up a series today called Disrupted. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about life being disrupted because that's, that's what has happened to us. The word disrupted means to destroy the normal continuance of something. And that is what we are experiencing. The normal continuance of work patterns, school patterns, social life. Everything seems to be flipped upside down. And here's what's difficult. It's hard to know how to navigate life when everything gets flipped upside down because there's lots of emotion, there's fear, there's anxiety, maybe even some anger in our lives. It's hard to have clarity. It's hard to know who to listen to. People are upset. And so what we wanted to do is uh, just provide a little bit of encouragement and inspiration during this time to help you navigate these uncharted, unprecedented waters. So we've been talking about stories from the Bible about people whose lives were majorly disrupted. We started with with Joseph, (laughs) then we went, then we talked about Jesus on Easter. And then last week we talked about Job. Three J's in a row, Joseph, Jesus, and Job. We didn't plan it that way. That's just kind of how it rolled out. We said that Joseph chose to see God in the midst of his disruption and that helped him to focus and also to have hope. And then we talked about Jesus on Easter we said Jesus came into this world, disrupted the trajectory of humanity. He actually reversed the curse upon creation and upon humanity. And one day everything will be restored. And so if you missed that on Easter, go back and check that out. And then last week we talked about Job. Probably one of the greatest stories in the Bible of disruption. God allowed his life to be totally flipped upside down in order to take his faith deeper, in order to grow his faith. He Wanted to move Job from this deal-making level of faith to trusting faith all the way to complete faith, which is where we trust God with all of the outcomes, outcomes completely and we stop complaining. If you missed any of those talks, you could check them out on YouTube. I think they'll be an encouragement to you. Now, today, as we wrap up this series, we wanna talk about one more story in the Bible of a person whose life was totally disrupted and how did they handle it, and then maybe that'll encourage us in our lives. The story of the person that we're gonna look at, her name does not begin with J, that would have been really cool, uh, but her her name actually starts with an E. Now, before we get into her story, I wanna talk about something that all humans struggle with, every single person struggles with. When disruption hits our lives, it's human for us to kind of back away, to kind of feel like, wait a second, I need to step back. We we sort of freeze. We sort of get paralyzed when disruption hits our lives because it's confusing and there's lots of emotion. And maybe we even feel insignificant, like what am I supposed to do in this huge worldwide disruption? And so we can kind of fade into the background And I wanna tell you something today that I believe is 100% true. No matter how insignificant you feel, you have an essential role to play. What am I talking about? I'm saying that in this moment in history, it is not time for you to back away. It is not time for you to say, wait, I got to sit this one out. I'm not significant. This isn't my fault after all. No, 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 no. This is time. This moment in history is the moment for you to step up and to step in to what God has for you. He has an essential role for you to play during this time of disruption. Now, I believe our story today, we're going to look through it. I believe it's going to prove that point, And I believe it's going to call you to another level in your life. It's the story of Esther. Now, if you know anything about the story of Esther... It goes all the way back to the time of exile when the Israelites were unfaithful to God. They disobeyed his his laws and God said, you know what? I finally had enough. So he raises up the Babylonians. They basically take over Jerusalem. They exile the the God's people uh, to to the land of Babylon, Babylon, but then they are overtaken by the Persians. And then 70 years later, the Persian king sends a lot of Jews back to Jerusalem, but during the time of Esther, many Jews did not go back to Jerusalem. And that's the time when we're, we're gonna, where this story kind of is placed in history. The main characters of the book are Xerxes and a guy named Haman and a girl named Esther and a guy named Mordecai. And so this is kind of how things begin in chapter one. King Xerxes, king of Persia, he is filthy rich. He decides he wants to throw this massive banquet for all of his military officials and you know, all of his governors and you know, all, all of the people basically in the government. This is the banquet of all banquets. This thing lasts 187 days. Can you imagine a party that lasts 187 days? I can't even imagine a party that lasts two days <laughs> myself. But he wants to show off all of his riches, all of his opulence, and so he does this, and you know, there's no rules. You can drink as much as you want. Each person had their own, you know, golden goblet. I mean, it was just it was just fascinating. After the 187-day banquet is up, he decides he wants to throw another banquet for the common person in, in all of his provinces. There's 127 provinces. This banquet lasts for seven days. At the end of this banquet, on the seventh day, the king is drunk. He comes up with this great idea. He wants to bring out his queen, Queen Vashti, and he wants to parade her in front of all of his friends and all the people in his kingdom, and just to show off how beautiful she is. Well, Queen Vashi isn't having any of it. She just flat out says no. She was, by the way, she was having her own party. And she says, I'm not leaving my party, and I'm not coming to be paraded out like some object in front of all your friends. And so, King Xerxes, he is. And he's fired up about this. He's so angry. He calls a meeting with his, basically his Congress or his leaders. And they say, what are we going to do with this rebellious wife of mine? You know, how are we going to make her pay? You know." And so they come up with this great idea to actually write a law, to make a decree and put it in writing that Queen Vashti is out and the king is going to get a new wife. And the reason they didn't just do this, the reason they put it in law, put it in writing is because they wanted to communicate to all of the other women in all of the provinces that they need to respect their husbands. Let me prove it to you in chapter one, verse 20. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, watch this, will receive proper respect from their wives. Now, as a married man, this kind of tickles me because there is no rule in no book that is going to get my wife to respect me. Like that's not how that's not how respect is is earned. Like uh, that's not how it's given. Like you actually have to, you know, earn respect. So I wish I could actually go back at this time and say, hey, how did that rule work? And I'm sure all the ladies you're probably curious too. My personal opinion is that it just didn't work out very well at all. But that's not the point of this story. That's just what they were thinking. So Queen Vashti's out, and now the king has a problem. He doesn't have a wife, so he gets this gets his guys together again, says, hey, we've got to come up with a plan. we got to find a new queen. And somebody throws out the idea. Well, I know what we'll do. We'll just have this massive beauty contest. What we're going to do is get the most beautiful woman from every province in all your kingdom. That's 127 women. And we're going to get them ready with all kinds of beauty treatments for months on end. And then the king can spend time with each woman 127 women. And then when you're done, you can pick your favorite, your most beautiful woman, and she'll be the new queen. And King Xerxes is like, that's a great idea. And so they go around and they pick one woman from every province. And guess who gets picked? Esther. Who is Esther? Esther is this Jewish girl. She's this foreigner living in a foreign land Both of her parents have died. She's been adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. She goes from from being this no one to being being chosen to be in in this beauty contest to become the next queen. This is an incredible turn of events. Sure enough, she wins the contest. She's chosen. The king loves her more than all of the other women. Mordecai gets promoted to get a position in the kingdom. What an incredible turn of events. Can you imagine a culture <laughs> that, that, puts a, that elevates a man of power and gets all of these women around him because he needs a wife, and then he spends time dating each one of them and spending time with each one of them, and then after it's all over, he picks one. Can you imagine a culture like that? I don't know. It sounds sort of like The Bachelor, <laughs> This is an ancient form of the bachelor. Anyway, Esther gets chosen and um, you know, things seem to be going well from her. She goes from this adopted foreign girl to being the queen of Persia. All of a sudden in chapter three, we're introduced to this villain. Now, every great story has a villain. You know it, right? Whether it's Voldemort or or Palpatine or it's the Joker or it's Loki or it's Vader. Every great story has a bad guy. Well, Esther's story is no different. The bad guy, the bad guy's name is Haman. Haman is this self-righteous, prideful, arrogant, hateful, racist Man, somehow he manages to get the king's favor and the king promotes him to second in command. And one of the rules in the palace is that whenever Haman walks down the, one of the hallways in the palace, all of the king's officials must bow bow down. And so sure enough, that's what they do, um, except for one man and his name is Mordecai. And for whatever reason, it doesn't tell us, maybe it's because Mordecai doesn't wanna worship a human being because he worships God, it doesn't really say for whatever reason, Mordecai will not bow down. And so day after day, he refuses to bow down and, more, and, and Haman's just getting more angry and more angry. And so he starts to ask questions about this guy that won't bow down. He finds out that he's Jewish, he hates Jews. And so he does some more digging and he finds out that, 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 he, that, that Mordecai has been put in this position and he doesn't wanna just kill Haman. He doesn't wanna just kill Mordecai. He wants to kill all the Jews in all the provinces. And so he goes to the king and somehow manipulates the king, pays the king, convinces the king to sign an edict that on such and such date, that the enemy of the Jews, led by Haman, can commit genocide. And it's, it's decreed, it's put into law. And, and Mordecai, when he finds out, he is just beside himself he is destroyed he goes outside the city this the, the palace gate and he is weeping and he puts on sackcloth and ashes which is a sign of mourning well Esther's assistants, her, Esther's maid they notice this and so they go back and they tell her so she sends a messenger a guy named Hathak say hey what's going on and Mordecai tells Hathak you know go back to the queen and say you no know, there's going to be a genocide Haman wants to kill all of our people on such and such date and so she says. so so Hathak goes to Esther and, and and Esther hears this and and but but uh, Mordecai gives her gives him one more message in chapter 4 verse 8 this is the message he also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king and to beg for mercy and to plead for her people Mordecai realizes this is this disruption, this, this horrible turn of events where there's now going to be a, 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 a genocide, there's going to be a holocaust. This must not happen. And he, he goes to Esther and says, Hey, would you go to the king? Would you stop this? Would you prevent this? I want you to hear Esther's first response in verse 11. She sends Hathak back with this message. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And the king has not called me to come to him for 30 days. I can't do this. Her response is, is I, I can't go into the king. Like, you don't understand how this works. Like, you can't just go in unannounced to the king's bedroom and say, hey, I have a message or I have a request. Like, if you do that, you, you're dead. Besides, the king hasn't asked for me for 30 days. I'm the queen. I'm his wife. He's been spending time with all these other women. He's not even interested in, in me anymore. I have no influence in his life. I don't even have his favor anymore. I can't do this. Remember what I said earlier. When disruption hits... It is absolutely normal to want to fade away and to think, who am I? And, and to, to, to say to ourselves, I'm insignificant and what can I do? In your notes, I want you to, I want you to put, it, put it down like this. It is human to shrink back. I'm so glad that, that we see this side of Esther. She's just human. She's just like you. She's just like me. What, me? I can't, it's too risky. Like, I, I don't even have influence with him anymore. Like, this, I didn't even cause this problem. This isn't even my fault. Like, why are you asking me to do this? Have you been there? Are you there right now? Have you been shrinking back into the shadows during this disruption? I'm so glad that Mordecai doesn't let her off the hook. He's just a good guardian. He's, he's acting like a good father, and he pushes back. And I want you to hear what Mordecai has to say to Esther. He says to her, don't think for a moment, Esther, that because you're in the palace, because you're the queen, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. Come on, come on, come on. Don't, don't, don't believe that. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And let me say this one last thing to you, Esther, because this, this, this might be true. Who knows? if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Powerful words. And Esther, pay, pay attention. Who knows that maybe God has placed you, maybe he has positioned you as the, the, the royal queen for this very moment to save our people from genocide. Esther, come on, pay attention. Don't shrink back. Don't, don't think that, this, this, that you can't help. Maybe God has put you in this spot for this very moment. It was true. God had perfectly positioned her as the queen for such a time as this. You know what's true also? I believe that you are perfectly positioned to carry out the will of God in this moment. What was true for Esther, I believe is true for me. What was true for Esther, I believe is true for you. That wherever you are, whatever position you have, whatever resources you have, in this moment, God has allowed you to be where you are in this moment at such a time as this to take action, to step up and to step in to what his will is for your life. This last week, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with a young girl named Allie O'Brien and she's formerly known as Allie Line and some of you may know her. She graduated from Center Grove High School. Her parents and her family attend church here. Don and Geraldine Line, they're really good friends of ours and um Here's how her story has unfolded. After college, she went to Illinois State, and and, uh, and she's a 4.0 student, All-American, a four-year starter on the volleyball team, academic All-American, first team All-Conference. She just soared. she graduated with a nursing degree, and she married Matt O'Brien, her husband. One year later, she found herself in New York City. He took a job there and. And she's got this nursing degree, had no idea what God was gonna do or allowed to happen. And now she found herself at the heart of the pandemic in New York City as a first year nurse. This week, I I, I had to talk to her. I just had to see what was going on. And I just wanted to give you a a two minute window into our conversation just to hear her heart and what's going on in New York City. Check out this conversation. First question is, you know, have you sensed like oh my gosh I I see God in this I feel Him leading me and I now right. I know why He wanted me right. here as an ICU nurse at NYU uh, is it's Langoon right NYU Langoon yeah. <laughs> NYU uh, yeah. so have you processed that or, or do you sense Him leading in that
1: right I I don't think I think this will be something where I look back one day and I'm like what the heck how was I there during that time? It, it kind of just feels like I'm going to work, you know, like I'm just doing what I've been doing before all the pandemic, but I've definitely since God, cause I, since I'm a brand new nurse, like I don't have that much experience with this level of acuity, these, these type of sick patients. And no one really does with the COVID patients, of course, but especially being brand new, I'm experiencing all this for the first time. So I think he's played a huge role in like, my ability on the job to have like mental clarity and problem solving and decision-making skills that I don't, I definitely don't have like more of the experienced nurses. Um, And he's definitely helped me with like my energy and my endurance and the same thing with the hospital. There's kind of a cool, like all hands on deck approach amongst everyone. And it definitely could have gone the other way. You know, it could have gone to pure chaos Um, and it, it felt like chaos, but Everyone's worked together so great, um, which has helped. I've definitely felt him through the support of like my husband and family and friends for sure. Like I've had endless people reaching out to me and praying for me and all of it just means so much. And it's, it's working. I I really think like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, we finally in the hospital, we used to be one to three ratio. Like I would have three ICU, COVID ICU patients and we'd be constantly behind, constantly running around, being there two, three hours late. After our shifts, after our 12-hour shifts, and we received, like, a couple hundred of travel nurses. So now we all just, as of now, we all have one patient. Mm-hmm. So it's significantly different. The environment's different for us, and patients get so much better care. It's so much safer. We kind of have a better idea of how to treat them. Um, it's yeah. just, yeah, so seeing him shape the response in New York City, the response in my hospital and my unit, has been really cool. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. After our conversation was over, she sent me this email. And I just wanted to read it to you because it's, it's probably the most defining moment so far in her career. She writes, one night at work, my patient's wife called the hospital asking for updates. I didn't have much to update her on because the status hadn't changed throughout the day. So I just simply offered if she'd like to see him, if I can go into the room and FaceTime her. He was medically sedated, so she wouldn't be able to have a conversation with him, but she could still see him and talk to him if she wanted to. She immediately started crying and said, yes, please, because she hadn't seen him since he had, since he had been admitted to the hospital three weeks prior. Currently, because of COVID precautions, patients aren't allowed to see any visitors unless it's an end-of-life situation, so they're always alone unless, unless us nurses are in there. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I went into his room and FaceTimed her and she asked me if I could join her in praying for him. So we prayed for him together and it was one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful moments in my nursing career. I was for the first time actually thankful God put me in the position that I am in. God used me to impact this woman by allowing this moment of prayer with her husband. It wasn't me taking any life-saving measures as a nurse. It was just a few minutes of my shift and a FaceTime call. But it encouraged me and reminded me that just just how much God can use us even if we aren't expecting it. By the way, this patient eventually ended up making huge steps towards recovery and is no longer in ICU. Powerful, powerful story. God has perfectly positioned Allie at such a time as this to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to, to rescue, to bring healing to people in need. And I believe the same is true for you and for me. In fact, in your notes there, I put a little, a little phrase there with a blank that says, you know what, you, you were made a blank for such a time as this. I don't know what your blank is. For me, it's I've been made a pastor for such a time as this. I've been made a husband." for such a time as this. I have been made a father for such a time as this. I have been made a friend for such a time as this. To do what? To be an encourager, to inspire others, to help people, to save people, to lift their spirit, to actually make a difference in their life during this time of disruption. The same is true for you. I would love for you to put it in the chat there. What is your position? You were made what, a teacher? For such a time as this? Uh, Maybe a son? A daughter? Maybe it's a politician? Maybe, I I, I don't know what it is. What, What is your position at such a time as this? I'm telling you, God has perfectly positioned you there. To do what? To encourage, to inspire, to build up, to bring healing. This is not time to shrink back, to overeat, to over Netflix, to oversleep, to over whatever. This is time to step up and step in to what God has planned for you. And that is exactly what Esther did. She stepped up. She answered the call. Mordecai says, hey, if you don't step up, somebody else will. Don't think that you're gonna escape certain death. Maybe God put you in this spot to deliver his people. She says, you know what? I think you're right. She decides that number one, she's gonna trust God. In your notes, Esther put her trust in God. How do we know that? Look at verse 16. This is what she says. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. What is fasting? You know what fasting is? Fasting is denying yourself food for a spiritual purpose. She's saying, God, I need your protection. I'm about to go in front of the king. If he doesn't raise his scepter, my life is over. I need your divine favor. I need your protection. I'm gonna put my trust in you. And she has everybody in all 127 provinces, all the Jews, fast for her. That's what you and I need to do. We need to put our trust in God. We need to say, God, you know what? During this time, I need your favor. I need your wisdom. I need, your cur- I need you to put courage in my heart as I step up and step in for what you have for me at such a time as this, at this moment in history. But she didn't stop there. She didn't just stop with a fast and start praying. She took it a step further. Look what she did, number two. She decided to act boldly. Esther acted boldly. She did what what Mordecai asked her to do. Look at verse 16 again. And then after we fast, though it is against the law, perhaps the best words in the whole book, I will go into the king. And if I must die, then I must die. If I must perish, another version says, then I will perish. And she risks her life. She takes bold action and she goes before the king even though she hadn't been invited for the last 30 days. She was unsure about her influence with him. She was unsure about her favor with her her husband. She acts boldly and she steps up and she steps into what God has for her. The moment, this moment, why did she do it? Again, she realized Mordecai's right. Perhaps God has allowed me to win this crazy beauty contest and, you know, become the queen and go from, you know, foreign adopted young girl in a foreign land to the the most powerful woman in in the nation. Maybe all of that has been orchestrated for this very moment. And she steps up and she steps in. Here's what I want to say to you. Can I, can, I, can I be your Mordecai? Can I say it to you today? Can I encourage you today as your pastor? This is your moment. You have a position and you have resources. I don't know what they are. I don't know what your position is. I know what mine is. And I know I've got time and I know I've got some money and I know I have some ne- a network of people and I know I have some connection. And I'm gonna say, God, in this moment, at such a time as this, how can I utilize my position and the resources within my reach to make a difference in people's lives? And you need to be thinking the same way because this is your moment. Will you trust God and act boldly? that's really the question today. That's what Esther did. She said, let's let's do a fast. Let's let's ask for God's favor. Let's ask for his protection. And then let's go into the king. And because of that, God responded. God responded. She goes into the king and he says, come on in, I wanna hear what you have to say. He doesn't kill her. He listens to her. She goes in and tells him, "Well, can I can I have these banquets? I wanna I wanna talk to you about something delicate." And so, sure enough, the king says, "Fine." On the second banquet, she reveals this crazy plan for a holocaust, a genocide against her own people. And she tells him, I'm a Jew, I'm one of the folks. And, and, and the king is enraged and he says, well, who, who, who came up with this? And she points at, at Haman and the king turns on Haman and he has him impaled on the very pole that he had designed for Mordecai to be impaled on. And then they work with the king, Mordecai and Esther work with the king to write a new decree that says on such and such date, The Jews can defend themselves against their enemies, and sure enough, sure enough, on that day, the Jews fight and defend themselves, and Esther saves her people. Why? Because she trusted God, and she acted boldly. I'm telling you, you have have a position. It might not be something big like king or queen, or you might even think, well, I'm not even a pastor, whatever, listen, you have a position, and you have resources. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a politician. What a time to be in politics right now. You have, you have a position and you have resources to do what? To, to encourage, to write laws, to help, to be a blessing, to make the right decisions. Maybe you're a business owner. At such a time as this, you've been put in charge of that business. To do what? To encourage, to inspire, to build, to help, to serve Maybe you're just a mom, a stay-at-home dad, and at such a time as this, you're there. You're going to help educate those kids, right? No matter how difficult it gets with, with the e-learning and trying to keep a job or whatever. Like This is your moment. Are you going to step up and step in? I don't know what your position is, but you have one. I don't know what your resources are, but you have some. Time, money, a network of people. Step up and step in. This is is your moment in history to make a difference. Now, if you were all here physically, in my head, I would just imagine everybody like, oh man, okay, I'm in. And and I'd have you raise your hands and say, all right, is everybody in? Are you going to act boldly? Are you going to trust God? And everybody raises their hands, but you're not here. So we can't do that. So instead of a physical hand raise, we're going to do a digital hand raise. If you feel like, man, if you feel moved, not by me, but by the spirit of God in your life, like, gosh, I've been sitting back. I've been shrinking back. I've been sitting down. I've been Netflixing. I've been, I've Into oversleeping, overdrinking, overeating. What am I doing? Come on, it's time to act. If that's you, I would love for you to text the word moment. This is your moment to 65248. I say, I'm done shrinking back. I'm done hiding in the shadows. I'm done drinking myself, you know, to sleep or eating myself. I'm done. I'm going to step up and step in. I'm going to realize I have a position and I have resources and I'm going to use them to rescue someone, to bless someone, to encourage someone, to lift someone, to help someone. This is your moment. Will you trust God and will you act? I hope that you will. Text us and let us know. Text MOMENT to 65248. We would love to encourage you. We would love to hear what your moment is. We would love to hear how you're going to trust God and how exactly you're going to act boldly. Now, I hope you're inspired by that. I hope you're encouraged by that. Let me close with this. There are some of you that need to hear this message. Esther risked her life. Now, she walked away with her life, but she could have lost it. But she was willing to put it all on the line. Hundreds of years later, one of her relatives, one of the descendants, someone that came from her lineage, did lose his life. His name was Jesus Christ. He also risked it all. He also was willing to give it all. He also acted boldly and trusted God. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He allowed himself to be murdered and crucified. Why? Because it's what you and I needed. We needed to be saved from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. Jesus said this about himself in Matthew chapter 20, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others, you and me, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come for us to serve him. He came to serve us, how? By giving his life to pay the penalty of sin, to wipe away the consequences of the curse in the garden so that you and I can become children of God, so that you and I can be forgiven, so that we can find grace, new life, purpose, meaning, forgiveness, mercy. Have you stepped into that? Have you received the gift of grace? Have you received the love of God? Have you said yes to what Jesus has done on the cross for you? He died for you. Three days later, he rose again so that you could become one of his children. Don't turn away from that. Don't look away from that gift. Don't turn your back on grace. Turn toward it. Receive him. Put your trust in him. Say thank you. Be grateful. Open your heart to him. And allow him to come in and fill you and cleanse you and wash you and make you his own child. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer that a child could say. It's a simple prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of reaching out to God in faith. Take these words and make them your own. And in doing so, you will be saved from the penalty of sin and you'll become a child of God. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Dear Jesus, I believe you died in my place. I believe you were the the ransom payment for my sin. I believe you took the shame and the guilt of my sin upon yourself when you died on the cross. I believe you came back to life three days later to wash away the curse, to reverse the curse held against me be my savior today as I reach out to you. Fill me with your spirit in this very moment. I trust you. I put my life in your hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, our church loves to celebrate with you. And we would also love to put a gift in your hands. It's a box that we've made special, especially for those of you who just prayed that prayer and put your faith in Christ. It's a saved box. Inside of this box, there is a copy of a New Testament. There's a reading plan for you to get started reading the scriptures. There's also some instructions in here on how to get connected to our church and how to take your next steps. Steps as a new Christian. There's also a little mug in here just for us to say, hey, congratulations, a little gift from us to you. You can text the word SAVED to 65248. Let us know your information and we will make sure that you get one of these in the mail. And I want to challenge you, when you get it, don't just put it somewhere, you know, get that Bible out. Start reading it. Start seeking God. I promise you, He will begin to speak to you and begin to change and shape you into the person He created you to be. Will you pray with me as we get, as we, uh, as we wrap up today. Father, thank you so much for this incredible story of Esther. You are at work from the beginning all the way to the end, saving your people, working your will. You put Esther right where she needed to be at just the right time to rescue your people. And I believe that is true about every one of us in a small way, that you have us right where you want us. Help us to realize that, to step up and step in, in this moment in history, to perform your will, to be a blessing, to help, to encourage, to lift others up, maybe even to rescue someone and to save someone. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, next week we are starting a brand new series on prayer. I'm super excited about it. I think you're gonna love it. Tune in next week. Bring a friend, invite a friend to actually watch with you next week or send them the link. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.